save our wildlife, save the environment, save our world. It all starts with a little knowledge. Welcome to Our Wild World with L.A. Weiss. There is so much that's being done and can be done with help from specialists and marginalized community groups to you. We'll discuss the future of Africa, the wildlife, and the people, and show you how it affects the entire planet. Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation. Good morning, and I'm Ellie Weiss, and this is Our Wild World. There are so many critical issues to discuss when we're talking about wildlife, people, and the future in addressing how we can better coexist. My guest today is Tiffany Yap, a scientist and wildlife corridor advocate with the Center for Biodiversity. The Center is a nonprofit public interest environmental organization dedicated to the protection of native species and their habitats through science, policy, environmental law, and in essence representing 1.4 million members and online activists throughout California and the United States. Tiffany works with the Urban Wildlife Wild Lands Program to protect biodiversity, wildlife connectivity, and environmental health at the interface between humans and the natural environment. The point of this information is that this is how we, the public, go about organizing our individual voices into community voices and take that up the chain to organizations who have the voice to address our legislators. Sorry, I'm tripping over my tongue. The voice to address our legislators at the state levels via composed, researched, and backed up with data, petitions to be voted upon. Today, we're going to focus on California's Endangered Species Act and how Tiffany and her team coordinated the petition to list the California cougar as endangered and why. Welcome, Tiffany. Hi, Ellie. Thank you so much for having me today. Oh, you're welcome. I, it's a pleasure. I'm looking forward to this conversation because we haven't um, spoken from somebody at this particular juncture at, from not only uh, Center for Biodiversity, but at the legislative level at this point in our um, lengthy discussions about cougars. So um, let's begin with just a little background about you and how you came to be with the center and further advocating for cougars. Yeah, sure. No problem. Um, Well, you know, so, I mean, I guess I hate to take it back a little bit too far, but, um, you know, when I, when I was in college, I was always really interested in nature and animals and I took my major was biology and I was really interested in ecology, um, but I didn't really know what to do with it. And I, wasn't sure about grad school because it was, you know, I wasn't sure if it was the mix of um, environmental advocacy and policy that I was looking for. And so it took me a little while to really kind of find where I wanted to go. And what I realized is, you know, grad school would actually help me. And so I ended up, I went to UCLA and I got a master's in environmental health sciences. And that kind of brought um, a bit, a better picture for me of how you know, the how humans and the environment kind of interact with each other and how we affect each other um, for better or for worse. And that led me to get a doctorate in environmental science and engineering, which was a very interdisciplinary program, again, at UCLA, um, that has a mix of environmental science, environmental law and policy, um, and engineering to kind of help understand the problems in the world and, and how, again, 
the the many different facets of our world interact with each other when it comes to uh, uh, humans and 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 development and roads and our environment and wildlife and the ecology around us. And so, um, you know, from there, I I tried to find my way to a place where I felt I could make a meaningful impact in both conserving wildlife and wild places, not only for the wildlife and wild places themselves, but also for people. And that was in this realm where there was also this policy aspect. Um, I did some work at environmental consulting firms at um, in academia. I was a postdoc for a little while. I also... Um, you know, uh, worked at a government agency. I was at Cal Fish and Wildlife for a little while. And, and, and what was great is I was able to um, study a lot of different things. I was looking at um, amphibians and urbanized streams. I was looking at disease in amphibians. I was looking at um, intertidal species um, and the impacts humans are having on these systems. And so, um, you know, in general, because of my interdisciplinary background and my interest in biodiversity and the human interface uh, with the environment, um, it kind of led me to the Center for Biological Diversity, where I have been given this really amazing opportunity to advocate for um, the most vulnerable species um, that we are affecting as a civilization. And that's the cougar, the California cougar. Yeah, yes. Among, amongst others. Amongst others, that's correct. Yeah, right now we're focusing on, yeah, California mountain lions in the Southern California and Central Coast areas. Um, okay, so why, why are, thank you for the background, because for one thing, that gives a lot of young people, our listeners, who ask me often, you know, I love animals, how can I turn my passion into action? And my answer is, you know, you just got to work at it. You got to find a spot and you got to, you know, figure out your focus and then learn it and get to it. So today, so many people are going through the academic route to be Mm -hmm. able to get in to uh, conservation and these Mm -hmm. various organizations. When I was your age, we just went and did it. And today that's not quite as possible, um, A, because there's so many more people and B, there's so much that requires legislation at this really critical time in our, right. our human history and how we are on the planet and the decline. So that background of how you went for it is really important. So I hope our young listeners take that to heart that you got to work at it. It doesn't just fall in your yeah. lap. You have to work at it and you have to focus and, you know, right. put your passion there. So mm-hmm. that leads me to um, this conversation. Why are mountain lions important? Why should we care about the California cougars? Yeah, well, mountain lions, you know, they've they've been around for thousands of years. They've been respected and revered by many different cultures. And they're themselves, they are majestic creatures and iconic big cats that a lot of people are in awe of. They also are really important keystone species. They're an apex predator that they, they survived, you know, um, government sponsored extermination campaigns of big predators. And so in Southern California and and the central coast, the, um, grizzly bears and wolves, other apex predators were exterminated, but the mountain lions, um, were able to remain and, um, with, and they have some protections now so that, that, that helped them a little bit. But what they do, um, as, 
these keystone species is that they, um, you know, they help regulate uh, deer populations. They they change the behaviors of of, of prey and and other other animals, even mesopredators, um, that kind of helps form the landscape and provide habitat for a lot of different species. They help keep streams stable, um, our stream banks stable, and so then the streams can stay healthy, and so that's a lot of habitat for different kinds of amphibians like California red-legged frogs or California tiger salamanders. Um, and, you know, they, and, and there are lots of different bird species that also use these habitats. But their kills are actually really important too. They're opportunistic. Or they're opportunistic hunters, um, so they do have a very wide variety in their diet. But their main prey are deer, and because deer are so big, what they do is they they'll feed on them for several days, um, and they'll they'll hide their 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 kill. But a lot of times, scavengers will still come. And, and this actually, uh, their kills are a really important food source for a lot of different scavengers from California condors to foxes to, um, you name you it, know, all the biota. They become yeah, so, bastards. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, so a kill almost becomes an echo zone by itself. Yeah. And, and amazingly too, you know, what's left over, the, those are nutrients for the soil and for vegetation to also, um, um, grow so they they really um, have a big impact on the ecosystem around them, and they really kind of engineer some of our ecosystems and help keep them healthy. Landscape architects. Yeah, exactly. So that gets us into um, what we we've talked about in preparing for this episode today is that in California it's unique in several ways in that um, there's sort of like three to four zones of California from the north all the way to the south. And there's several different subpopulations of lions. So why is it critical that you're putting, I think this um, petition was put forth June 25th to California mm-hmm. legislators to look at uh, the California Endangered Species Act and get the mountain lion listed. So this yeah. is kind of important because... Overall, mountain lions are doing well, but in these echo zones and these broken up or fragmented habitats that you're working at with the Center for Biological Diversity to get them listed, tell us why it's important to get them listed and the pressures that these subpopulations are facing. Yeah. Okay. So the, so, um, the, we, that that's absolutely right. We we petitioned um, to the California Fish and Game Commission to list Southern California and Central Coast mountain lions as threatened under the California Endangered Species Act, and we did that because um, there there have been several popu- several subpopulations um, have been identified as genetically distinct clusters. Um, by researchers, and what these researchers found were, were um, was that um, several of these populations are suffering an, an extinction vortex right now. And so, what that means is, you know, um, what is contributing to this vortex um, that's really endangering these um, these mountain lions is extreme isolation from sprawl and um, and roads. So those they're kind of cl- boxing in these populations in these small 
patches of habitat. And, and not only, and that, and that, um, that kind of affects how their genetic health is because if they get boxed in, then they can't disperse, other animals can't come in. And so there's inbreeding and that leads to low genetic diversity and that can cause, um, down the road, that can cause a lot of health issues, it could cause reproductive issues. Um, and we've seen this in the Florida panthers. Um, and so there's that, but then there's also really high mortality rates caused by people. So the uh, mountain lions are being killed by um, cars on roads when they try to cross the road. Um, they're being killed by rodenticides, um, poisoning. They get secondary poisoning um, by eating prey that has consumed the rodenticides. Um, they also are, you know, being um, there's this, uh, they're being killed in retaliation for um, um, preying on livestock or pets. And so that's through depredation permits. Um, people can apply for depredation permits and um, remove these animals lethally. They can also be killed by poaching. Um, there's lots of different ways that humans are, are, are killing these mountain lions. And because with the combination of the extreme isolation and these mortality rates, high mortality rates, um, these mountain lions are at risk. Some populations are at risk of becoming locally extinct um, within 50 years or even sooner if inbreeding depression occurs. And so there, there is really deep concern here that these populations are not going to are not going to persist and survive in the long term, and that and that would be a huge tragedy. So I just want to clear up one little thing because I know some people might have a problem with the word extinction. And mm-hmm. we, we, you explained extinction vortex, which is understandable. But mm-hmm. we, we can also say at this point, extirpated from these pockets. So when you've got these genetically um, diverse or distinct subpopulations mm-hmm. and you're losing them to all these different factors, some of which we can... Uh, affect as individuals, some which require legislation, which is what the this point is about, um, mm-hmm. that we could interchange the word extinct of this population if they are genetically diverse. But what we're trying to talk about here also is connectivity, that if we okay. can create connectivity corridors for these populations to cross these human-made um, barriers then Mm -hmm. we get diversity and they're no longer genetically distinct? There will, you know, that, that's a really good question. Um, And, and I think there would be more genetic mixing and I don't, and I think it would depend on the amount of mixing. I think ideally we want to get it to a point where it's mixed enough and they become one, you know, bigger population again. Um, that might be a question for a mountain lion geneticist. Okay. Um, oh, good point. I had yeah. thought of that. <laughs> yeah. Be- because it, it is kind of critical if, we, you know, if we're getting localized populations that are mm-hmm. becoming totally fragmented within one state and we're getting so much news of there are mountain lions being seen in so many more places trying to get east that they're trying to disperse and they're kind of stopped right here at the Rockies and the Dakotas, and they can't get past this bottleneck. So it Mm -hmm. is really critical what your petition here and what the Center for Biological Diversity is trying to do in create healthy 
um, linked populations so that eventually, as we people get on board, we allow mm-hmm. these mountain lions not only to coexist with us, but to move between us and move yeah. east. So um, we've talked about that previously. So this was this would be a good time to take a little break. And what we're going to talk about is the critical issues here with Tiffany about why connectivity is so essential. And then we're going to get into this petition. So stick with us and we'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists, discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. 
If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. And welcome back. I'm Ellie Weiss, and my guest today is Tiffany Yap. She's a scientist and an advocate working with the Center for Biological Diversity in California and working on a petition, worked on several petitions uh, to the California legislature, uh, state government, to get the California cougars listed under the California Endangered Species Act. So, uh, Tiffany, we we gave a nice outline for our listeners in the first uh, section here of why this this is important, but let's let's get into um, the essence of what what this petition is trying to do, and why connectivity is essential for the long term survival of the California mountain lions and mountain lions across the United States. But we're focused in California right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think one thing that's like really exciting about um, this petition is that um, you know, despite the kind of dire situation that some of these populations of mountain lions are currently in or will be in soon, um, there are actionable things that we can do to pre- to help preserve the species, conserve the species, um, and prevent their extinction. And that's, and, and as you said, it's because connectivity is so important for them, um, and we can improve connectivity um, for them, you know, so they... Connectivity is really important for them because they have these large home ranges. Sometimes it depends on the type of habitat and, you know, the prey availability and vulnerability and things like that. But they can have ranges as uh, home ranges, 100 square miles, 200 square miles. Um, and they need they need a lot of space because they need to be able to find food and they need to be able to find mates. And so kind of, and another thing is and in the finding mates, Connectivity needs, um, or connectivity allows for better gene flow with the other mountain lion populations, which is kind of what we were talking about earlier. And again, that reduces the risks of inbreeding and low genetic diversity. So let's bring this back to California. It's a huge state. It covers Mm -hmm. pretty much the north to the south, western side of this continent. So there's a lot of different geographic environments that the 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 lions live in from Mm -hmm. oh up in the mountains you know where there's few people to like santa monica la san diego Mm -hmm. all the way down the south so these environments are very different and face different pressures so when Mm -hmm. you're talking about connectivity we mentioned roads and that's one of the biggest things so let's let's talk about how these roads become you know concrete, literally concrete, physical barriers preventing mountain lions from moving. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, the, it's, it's exactly that. The um, roads and development are huge barriers for these mountain lions. Um, you know, when you see freeways like the 101 in Southern California or the 5, um, you know, they're, they're very difficult for anyone to cross um, they're not and, made for pedestrians, let alone right. there's. I mean, yeah. there's not even pedestrian crossings, let alone a wildlife crossing. Right. Exactly. And so you know the it, you know the so the I think you know the five and the one one there and the four hundred five they're six to eight lane freeways and um and what's amazing is you know so 
There are scientists at the National Park Service who have been studying the Santa Monica mountain lion population um, for decades. And, you know, they're noticing that they're, that these mountain lions are having trouble crossing these, these huge freeways. Um, but what's amazing is that some of them actually are able to, and they're able to use culverts um, at our actually... Um, Drainage ditches? Drainage ditches, uh, or, are drainage they, ditch. or are they actually built culverts for wildlife? They're they're drainage ditches. Okay, you're right. You're right. They're, yeah. So there are these culverts that are existing. Um, some of them are usable uh, by mountain lions. Others could get upgraded so that they could become usable for mountain lions. Um, and you know, I think a really good example of that is P twenty two. So. There's a mountain lion. He's a famous mountain lion. He's often called the Hollywood mountain lion because he somehow was able to cross several freeways from the Santa Monica Mountains and made his way to Griffith Park. Um, and he lives in Griffith Park now, um, which is amazing for several reasons. One, that he, he made it that far. He survived those freeway crossings. But two, that's a very small area for a mountain lion. He, I mean, it's maybe 10 square miles. Um, so that's the smallest recorded home range of any male mountain lion, adult male mountain lion. Um, and he's surviving, he's thriving, but what's 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 really um, sad and tragic for poor P-22 is that he is the bachelor of Griffith Park and he will, unlike, it's unlikely that he will find a partner to mate with um, uh, because it's so hard to get to him and he's just so isolated on this little island. Um, and there's no indication of him moving away from that island again because of all the roads and development that are surrounding him. So he's kind of settled into that spot, and mm-hmm. it's very difficult for females from surrounding fractured, barriered off by roads and development to take an excursion into his area. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So P-22 could be the last of his line. Isn't there a new young... I don't. I don't remember P seventy five, a new young collared lion, and is it a female? I think it's a female. Mm-hmm. And where is she? I. I don't recall. I think she's in the Santa Monica Mountains. Okay, so what did P twenty two have to mm-hmm. go through? I'm not completely familiar with the geography from the Santa Monica Mountains down to Griffith Park. What did he have to go through? To get there, he had to cross a major freeway. He, he had, had to go- cross several okay. major freeways, I think. Wow. So, um, so he was born in the Santa Monica Mountains, um, and then from there, he uh, he had to cross the 101 and the 405 freeways. Wow. Yeah. Um, and then, and that maybe know. taught him a lesson that he doesn't want to do that again. So he's staked out Griffith Park. Yeah, maybe. I mean, yeah. Is he and, um, too too? Uh, is he immune to people? Is it? Does he stay hidden? Is he sighted a lot? Or he's very elusive. He, you know, the um, he's very elusive. I mean, the mountain lions in general, they don't really like people. They avoid people as much as possible. And, um, you know, P-22, we kind of know his whereabouts because he's been collared by the National Park Service. And camera um, So they can study him. Yeah. That's cool. And, you know, yeah, but one thing that I think is really interesting about P-22 and what we've learned from P-22 is that um, there was 
a point in time where he did get very sick. He got mange, um, which is like a parasitic skin disease. Um, and that in bobcats, it's very closely linked with rodenticide poisoning. And so scientists think that with they could be similar with mountain lions as well, that rodenticide poisoning may um, make mountain lions more susceptible to mange, similar to bobcats. Um, there isn't a lot of data on that yet, but um, but it's kind of speculation that that rodenticides are um, well. They affect the immune the immune system, and yeah. you know, uh, mange is an autoimmune system uh, disease parasite. So I remember reading about that, and um, everyone was very concerned that he might not survive it. Mm-hmm. And did the um, scientists go in and treat him? Yeah. Did I? Okay, I thought yeah. so. So that's that's a point where human interference in, you know, a, a biological study of a small population and one extraordinary lion can come into play. We've interfered so much with these mountain lions, and, you know, it right. always used to be people don't interfere. Well, sometimes we have to interfere, and that comes back to um, this California endangered species listing. What would it do? to heighten protections for mountain lions. Yeah, so the a CISA listing would be really great for these mountain lions in Central California and Southern, Central Coast and Southern California. Um, it would provide, so what it would do is it would provide a clear legal mandate for state and local authorities to do no harm to the species. And so because connectivity is vital for their long-term survival, this means that any new road or development projects would need to take measures to either preserve or enhance that connectivity. And so um, this could look like preserving existing intact natural habitats or building wildlife crossings over existing roads. Um, The CISA listing would also, in addition to providing the, the mandate for state and local authorities to do no harm, it would also provide an affirmative mandate for state agencies to conserve the species. So that means they they could um, develop um, a recovery plan and they could potentially um, improve connectivity for the species. Would it also mean they could potentially um, bring in mountain lions from other places to boost the genetic diversity? Uh, Not necessarily other places in the country, but other places in California to cross-pollinate. Yeah, that's a really good question. I don't know that um, that is something that has been brought up, um, but I don't know if that's something that has been considered. I don't know if we're at the stage where that is being considered. I think the priority and the ideal situation would be to improve connectivity and let that gene flow occur naturally. Okay. Um, and, and but so I, how, I do, but, oh, I'm go sorry, ahead. go ahead. No, but but I, 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 I understand that you're... Um, that idea of, of introducing other mountain lions, that is something that was done with the Florida panthers when their um, genetic diversity was really low and they were the, that population was really suffering and not being able to reproduce. Um, they brought in the Texas mountain lions to kind of boost the and restore, do some genetic restoration. It's kind of um, like moving deck chairs around in the Titanic. <laughs> if, if we don't protect or conserve and uh, provide means legislatively within the state and even the federal to allow this to happen naturally, then we really are kind of rearranging and not really 
increasing. Yeah, and I think the the thing about in, if we were to in, in use introduction of um, genetic, like introduce genetic flow to these populations, that's not a really long term sustainable solution because right. these populations are still really isolated. So in the long term, it wouldn't really um, uh, achieve the goal of conserving right. the species, and and so really the priority. Is, is, is to address the big deal. Yeah, so that's yeah. the big deal. We have to start as the human population implementing and putting in all these barriers to start addressing how we can ease these barriers. And that's what the actual legalese of these petitions state. So how are, um, how are, Tell us, there's three petitions that you you authored. There's this one to the CESA, the California Endangered Species mm-hmm. Act. Then there was the one for, a, there's a comment letter on uh, that goes to uh, Caltrans. And then mm-hmm. there's another one to the Ventura County. So these are all right. pieces and parts of the same um, action. Tell us how these work together. I mean, because this is what folks don't quite, advocates and activists don't quite understand, how we have to put all these voices together in the right places and the right puzzle parts to address the right um, administrations or um, actions, the the people who are responsible for taking care of this stuff. Sure. Sure. Well, yeah, you're right. And and it's... it's, um it's a challenging uh, and complicated kind of process. Yeah, it's, a, it's, um. a, it's a very complicated process. Yeah. So when I read the three documents that you gave me, and this yeah. is where you come in, in into importance and why your background and your multidisciplinary work all came together to do policy yeah. changes. So we can all love animals because they're beautiful, but that doesn't save them. And we have to face the reality that we have to work um, by bringing people together to do this. So, I mean, you not only love the wildlife, but you took it to the next level, several levels, to be able to write up um, in the right legalese, doing the right data, coordinating Mm -hmm. tons of information from a variety of NGOs, uh, scientists, research, to put it Mm -hmm. all together and include the data and the footnotes and everything so that the uh, CESA and the Ventura County and um, the comment letter all address these critical points. So, I mean, that's an amazing piece of work for one young woman to do thank you <laughs> well, thank you, thank well, you. It's, it's definitely a team effort and you know it within our organization and also beyond um and so the petition so just to clarify there there was just one petition and that was the CISA listing petition um and then the other two the um the other two documents were comment letters and so one was to caltrans um and you know as as i as we've been discussing, roads are huge contributors as barriers for of connectivity. They, you know, the the amount of uh, not just mountain lions but many other species are hit on the roads regularly. You know, and I think they call it, they pose a uh, um, they pose a safety risk not just to wildlife but also to people when wildlife vehicle collisions happen. 
You know, there's an estimated 7,000 to 23,000 wildlife vehicle collisions every year on California roads, but that only includes large mammals. So usually deer um, are the ones that are reported. Um, but there are a lot of animals that aren't reported um, that are being hit on these roads. And so, you know, so it's, with a health, a, it's a health, human health and safety is, yeah, issue. Exactly. And so, you know, so what we were doing with that comment letter is we kind of wanted to highlight the importance of habitat connectivity, not just for mountain lions, but for all sorts of animals in our unique biodiversity of California that we have. And so, and the, and the, we kind of like urge Caltrans to to look more deeply at these issues and to um, plan more crossings um, for multiple species um, to improve permeability, to improve connectivity, so animals can um, get back and forth through different habitats. So this isn't only about um, addressing or redressing current structures and perhaps adding more wildlife culverts, updating them, or building um, wildlife crossings where roads currently exist, but mm-hmm. in reading these letters and this document is to future think. And so by writing the yeah. le- comment letters to the Ventura County of commissioners and Caltrans mm-hmm. is you're mm-hmm. tying all these dots together okay. of the big players to mm-hmm. consider thinking of the future, climate change, and mm-hmm. um, to take wildlife into their planning stages, which is right. what we need to do. Yeah, that's right. And and what's great is, so with the Ventura County um, comment letter, that was a letter of support because they were um, proposing a new wildlife connectivity ordinance that got passed with our support, which was amazing and awesome because they basically... In Ventura County, they zoned areas for wildlife connectivity. Um, And so that's really great because, you know, they identify areas that are currently important linkages um, to preserve, which is great. And, and, And what I think is really important is the two, the two comment letters together actually paint an even broader picture because it's not like the, 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 the Ventura ordinance is great because it, it, it zone, it rezones and it has the wildlife corridors and connectivity identified, but it doesn't have the aspect of enhancing connectivity with crossings. And that's something that Caltrans can do. Okay. So So it's a combination of habitat conservation and, um, connectivity enhancement. This is great. So um, this is a good point to step away and take a break. We still have a lot more to talk about, so stick with us. And my guest, Tiffany Yap, um, wildlife uh, biologist and advocate with the Center for Biodiversity. And we're talking cougars in California. So we'll be right back. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. 
Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Voice America presents a new kind of health awareness talk show, the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. Show host Sharon Kleina interviews leading scientists to discover how each of us can become proactive in protecting our personal health environment in an increasingly unhealthy world. Every show offers new information that could save your life. The Sharon Kleina Hour is health from an environmental perspective, your ultimate source for a personal environmental lifestyle. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel and Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. And welcome back. This is Ellie Weiss. You're listening to Our Wild World. And my guest is Tiffany Yap, a scientist and a wildlife advocate working with the Urban Wildlife Project with Center for Biodiversity. And she is one of the authors of a team effort to um, list the California cougar, which has 10 uh, significantly genetically different subpopulations throughout the, the state that are what we call facing an extinction vortex. So even though cougars are doing well across the state, I mean, across the continent, 
they are facing difficulty in California where they're getting boxed in. And uh, because of roads and because of human development, these subpopulations are losing their genetic diversity. They're not able to connect with each other. So we talked a lot about connectivity. So um, what I'd like to address now or, or help us understand, Tiffany, is the importance of corridor redundancy. So we talked about um, the petition and what we're trying to do and that mm-hmm. this redundancy will help not just connect connectivity, but resilience. Let's talk about what boxing the lions in, what they face and what this petition and the two letters that you wrote to Ventura County and uh the, the other letter to, to Caltrans. Caltrans are trying to address, tying together. Yeah, and that's what the Urban Wildlands Program focuses a lot on. We focus a lot on land use um, and land use planning, land use policy and land use planning. And so, um, you know, it's, it, is, it is a really important thing to look at and that it is, it is what we spend a lot of our time kind of um, keeping our eyes on, open for um, and which is why we're, we're – submitting comment letters to different counties um, regarding different development projects because, you know, things like what um, what would be better for both wildlife and wild lands as well as people um, in terms of community and, um, and public health are to have um, affordable housing being built in areas that are infill development near um, public transit, near places of work, areas where people can um, have community. Um, and and what, what we're seeing a lot of times are more leapfrog developments plopped in wildland places far away from places of work um, in these areas that are important habitat for a lot of different species, in some cases in areas that are um, prone to fire, um, so it's not safe for people, and it's not safe for wildlife. Um, and so we we do address that in a lot of different ways. Um, and you know, with the CISA listing peti- or yeah, with the CISA listing petition, um, that is also you know something that does come up. You know, and developers might argue that such a listing would limit the number of homes we can build for our growing population, and that we need to choose between protecting humans or protecting mountain lions. But that's really a false dichotomy. If we plan properly in a way where we can either preserve, we can preserve and enhance connectivity, then we can make our homes safer for ourselves and for mountain lions and for a lot of different species um, in our really unique ecosystems in California. And, um, and this also includes like density of, and things we might not think of, lights, noise, rock concerts, um, community uh, parks, open spaces mm-hmm. that are bordering up against streams and wetlands. And right. you know, the, the, and then also I'd like you to address that within some of these plannings and why, again, the, the petition to CISA is important and the letters mm-hmm. to your various communities because they have exemptions for developments and sometimes these exemptions undermine the overall effect of what you're trying to do. Sure, yeah. Edge effects definitely are, are play a role in impacts to wildlife for sure. Um, as you mentioned, the noise and the lighting and and 
and things like that. They, the, you know, wrote their buffers are really um, useful um, because buffers between, you know, humans and um, the natural environment are, are useful and they're helpful um, because it, it provides a safe space for um, these different species that are usually um, try to avoid people. Uh, they and you mentioned that some of these new plan developments are like pockets plopped right. into previously und- undisturbed. I'll right. call it that. Maybe there's mm-hmm. recreation going there, but it's undisturbed, and they're not the human population is not really even connected other than more roads to the already roads that are barriers these main freeways so that it's creating a further fracturing that's right yeah so yeah go ahead go ahead ahead. so how how is your urban wildlands project helping to get the um counties and the various players of development to look at these in future think yeah that, that that's a good question that, so the um so the the way we address these kind of issues is a lot of times if we see a, a development that's being proposed and it's another leapfrog sprawl development um for example there are can i give examples of, yeah, absolutely. of specific projects Okay, so the you know for example, Centennial in LA County is is a really good example of um, of a, a leapfrog sprawl development. Um, it's you know more than sixty miles away from downtown Los Angeles. They um, you know it's in undisturbed uh, grasslands and wildflower where wildflowers are, and you know the. And it's in the Tehachapi Mountains, which is a, actually a really important area for mountain lion connectivity statewide. So it's a really important area um, for biodiversity of plants and animals. Um, and it's located in a, in a place where they're going to put 60,000 people really far away from places of work. And, um, you know, it would add, add traffic to our already traffic-ridden area um, it'll increase air pollution and greenhouse gas emissions. So there are a lot of there are a lot of um, issues with with leapfrog sprawl development like that, and you know ways in which we kind of try to advocate for better planning um, is through our comment letters, kind of like the comment letter I sent to Caltrans or comment letter to the Ventura County. We can also do to LA County for projects like this, um, and then sometimes if they get approved. If these kinds of projects get approved without appropriate mitigations or adequate mitigation measures, um, then you know lawsuits can be filed. So we actually filed a lawsuit against Centennial. Um, so a lot of times, what these what what you're doing is trying to slow this process down. I mean, it's it's going to be happening, but you're trying to slow it down and add some points to think about. We, we, we want to improve, have, we want the developers to improve the plan so that they are more adequately minimizing impacts to wildlife, to okay. traffic, to greenhouse gas emissions, to wildfire risk. Um, Rather you know, than just go ahead and build it and they will come. Right. 
Wow. You guys have a lot to do there. So what are some of the other uh, projects that you're you're working on in terms of uh, cougars and other letters that are in in the works to to affect all of this? This is big. Yeah, no, it, it's, it, you're right, it is a lot of work. Um, the, so another project that is kind of specific to mountain lions is um, the alt, there is an Altair project in Temecula, and what they're doing is they're proposing a development right at a, the last critical linkage between the Santa Ana Mountains and the Eastern Peninsula Range. And so that's um, really impactful really big negative impacts on mountain lions in that area because the Santa Ana Mountains are already struggling and are already extremely isolated with really low genetic diversity, really low effective population size. And, you know, this population, if, if, if we don't improve um, connectivity and if we don't minimize the anthropogenic pressures that we've already placed on this population in the Santa Ana Mountains, they could go extinct within 50 years. But if inbreeding depression occurs, which is, there are high chances of that because inbreeding is so high and genetic diversity is already so low, this population could go extinct within 12 years if inbreeding depression occurs. And so this is like, that population is really, um, struggling the most this one that one in the santa monica mountains those two populations are we're at a critical stage where we we need action to improve their chances of survival um and so this altair project is you know we we feel that they are not doing enough to mitigate these impacts and so we actually filed a lawsuit against them as well so um we've got a few minutes left here so you submitted you, um, the Center for Biological Diversity, submitted the CESA, the California Endangered Species Act, to yeah. list the cougar as endangered within the state of California and everything we talked about today and threatened um, on June 25th. So That's what's right. the process now? The California Department yeah. of Fish and Wildlife has to respond. So uh, tell us what that is. And That's then right. I think there's a comment period. So listeners... And um, folks in California can comment. Tell us how that works and our sure. our time frame. Yeah. yeah, so our petition to list the Central Coast and Southern California mountain lions as threatened under the California Endangered Species Act was submitted to the California Fish and Game Commission on Tuesday, Jan- June 25th. And then from there, the California Department of Fish and Wildlife has 90 days to provide a recommendation to the commission regarding whether or not these mountain lions warrant consideration for listing. And so once they provide that recommendation, the commission can look at that recommendation and then they vote on whether or not to um, consider it. And that vote will likely happen in December um, of 2019. And if they vote yes, then um, the mountain lion will be designated the mountain lion in that in those areas of California will be designated as a candidate species um, for listing, and then the department will have at least one year to conduct more studies and analyses to determine if listing is warranted. Um, and then they provide that rec- they provide their recommendation again to the commission, and then the commission ultimately will decide whether or not to list 
um, these mountain lions. And is there, a, is, there a, is there an opportunity for public comment or engagement? Yes, yes, there is. Um, and so I think that um, public comment period will occur in, in between um, if, so if the commission votes yes, we should consider listing this species or this evolutionary significant unit. Um, then there will be, after that, a time for public comment. So at this point, between, let's say, now, and our mm-hmm. listeners hearing this now, uh, mm-hmm. what what can people do to support the petition that you've submitted? Is there any way or a comment place or contact the Center for Biodiversity to um, lend their some support so that at a certain time you have... Uh, data or public support to move forward? Or are we just talking on blank ears until December? (laughs) No, uh, we definitely, you know, we welcome as much support as we can get on this. Um, We are currently strategizing our plan for how to engage um, with the public, um, and that's going to be coming up in the next couple weeks, and we will be reaching out. I think in the meantime, um, you know, it just, you know, if you have this enthusiasm and love for mountain lions and biodiversity, then, you know, share it, share it with folks. Some folks might know already, they might not know as much, or they might not know anything at all about them. And I think just sharing your enthusiasm um, and your understanding that these species in some areas are um, vulnerable to extinction. I think that's just um, good education and outreach to let folks know that this is happening and that there are ways that we can actually prevent their extinction. We just have to act. Um, and, you know, and that's what we're pushing for. We're pushing for action. And, and you know, I think, um, yeah, the center, we definitely, if, if you're interested, please, Contact us, sign up on our email lists, um, you know, let us know how you would like to engage and we can let you know what we're doing and how you can engage if you'd like. That's great. And then, of course, I'll be keeping on top of this and in touch with you. And if you've got any links to share with me and along with this podcast, share this podcast because we just heard it right from the source of uh, where you can find out more, Tiffany, Tiffany App and the Center for Biodiversity. And get involved, folks. So unfortunately, today we're out of time, but this was a great conversation. And I thank you so much, Tiffany. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate being here and and. And I love the work that you do, so thank you. Well, thank you. We can't do it without folks like you. So uh, meanwhile, folks, and if you're in California, step up, get your voice be heard, and contact the Center for Biodiversity. Meanwhile, enjoy our wild world. Thank you again for joining us this week. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now. 